John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 166.gn3224, certificate number 29766. Farmer Burns. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is Championship Wrestling, promoted by Phil Zatko, supervised by the State Athletic Commission, on the referees for this hour of wrestling. Dick Carroll, Danny Davis, Gilberto Roman, and my name is Jericho. What, if anything, John Roderick, is your theory about the popularity of professional wrestling? You know I have a theory about everything, so... Is it one big theory that encompasses professional wrestling and the fall of communism and the Industrial Revolution and... The Austro, the Franco-Prussian War. It should be. It's you know sometimes it's hard to tie the things together, but that's what a, you know that's where all the hard work is, that's right? The dream. In between, in between Franco-Prussian War and professional wrestling, you know the interstices. Like, yeah, where do I? How do I tie all the threads together? But yes, it should. You know, my in-universe should be consistent. The John Roderick Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I feel the JRCU. Like, I feel like you can't have. Spider-Man in one place, but then no Spider-Man in but another But then Morbius place. in another place. Yeah. No, 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 and they no, can't no, meet. Do you, did you ever have a wrestling uh, phase or wrestling friends? It's, you know, a, it's a whole other America out there, wrestling America. Uh, growing up in the, in the early 80s and, the, you know, and uh, I guess early 80s when wrestling really seemed to explode and become popular media. You predated the boom. Yeah, you predated the Hulk and Andre boom. Yeah, and I was and I watched it happen, and it was I, I watched it happen. I think because we also got cable TV for the first time in 1981, so all of a sudden there was all this access to Turner Broadcasting and WGN and all these these windows into other places. Um, mostly, and, mostly Cubs and Braves games, but Cubs yes. and Braves, and then and reruns of uh, Gilligan's Island. A lot of that, right? And Be- Benny Hill. We finally got <laughs> Benny Hill. But uh, but wrestling arrived, and then it was it yeah it was an alternate universe, and I was not either not the right age or not the right proclivities, and I think it's the latter because I I also was not drawn into the Marvel Comics universe in the seventies when a lot of kids around me were. Everybody was was really into those comic books, and I just wasn't. 
Um, and so wrestling felt kind of adjacent to superhero comics, like a lot of those, I, I, I had missed the, yeah, it's got the costumes yeah, and, and the, the similar the themes and, and the, kind of the, uh, un, the unbelievable the homoeroticism. Like, is this real? Are you guys really, do you really, is this really interesting to you? But Wait, I, did you wonder if Marvel comics were real? Are these guys actually fighting over Manhattan? No, but I watched other kids and I was like, is this real to you in your mind? Does this really, why are you excited about this? It seems like you could have these characters do anything. And if, if characters aren't limited, it's kind of like all the, all the zombie movies. Like if, if there are no limitations in the star Wars prequels, when the bad guys become robots, who cares if you kill a million robots, there are no stakes. We never, we never hear about the empire suffering from a lack of resources to create more robots. So there's not even resource tension. Like yeah, we're em- running out of robots. The empire must have replicators or something. Yeah. So, so a million robots come at you and you kill them all with lightsabers or you're sitting fighting robots. And it's like, I understand the challenge to the Jedi, but where's the, where's the ultimate stake? But here? this is Lucas's genius. Make the robots slightly annoying. So that every time one bites it, you're like, well, at least that annoying robot, well, at least that annoying robot died. Well, at least that annoying robot died. Yeah, I don't, I don't feel like those are repeat, enough stakes. Repeat and 5,000 so, times. So that was the thing about superhero comics was like, well, if, if they have all these powers and they're, are they, they're working for democracy, I guess, but I don't know, man. What are the, what are the stakes? Unlike Richie Rich, where Richie Rich is a poor little rich boy. He really is suffering emotionally. He's suffering emotionally. Richie Rich was your Spider-Man? Richie Rich, you know, and Casper the Friendly Ghost, even into my teens, you know, really were were my guide. What about that little that little witch girl with the, the with the red hood? Yeah, I liked her too. But you know, and also Sergeant Rock and the and the the lost lost platoon and so Mad that, Magazine. So you were a Sergeant Rock kid and not a Sergeant Slaughter kid. <laughs> if you think about Mad Magazine, I mean, you know, the stakes are like, what's it like to be a Jewish humorist in New York City in the fifties? The idea that children perceive all media, including Mad Magazine, through stakes is an insane. Uh, insane idea i guess so like it's what, what's the hollywood book the robert whatever his name is that does all the stuff about how screenwriting works I uh, mean, it, it, it's true that everybody perceives art that way now but the idea that a nine-year-old in the <laughs> late 70s or early 80s would be like i don't watch uh summer because the third act was a little weak yeah, i just i don't know i maybe that was in, in, instinctive to me because of my family's history and politics everything was about what are the stakes well wrestling has you know, very melodramatically high stakes. Yeah, right, right. In, in well, the storylines so that are like every the week, there's somebody's got cancer, mm. somebody's sleeping with somebody, yes. somebody. It's and more I, like a daytime soap. Yeah, and I couldn't. I you couldn't, never got sucked into those. No, I didn't. Although Hogan's Heroes, I mean, there were stakes there. You're trying to you're trying to thwart uh, Sergeant Schultz every episode, and I, you know, and I was into those stakes. That seemed reasonable. You're a Sergeant Rock and Schultz kid, not yeah. a Sergeant Slaughter kid. That's right, I, Sergeant Slaughter. I couldn't hang. I guess this is relatable to me because I. I had that experience where I was briefly very into professional wrestling during its 80s boom, uh, daytime soaps during their kind of 80s legitimacy. And I did kind of at some point tune out of both when I realized, oh, it's just going to keep going. It's the like, same. The stuff I thought was, and I guess this is stakes related, the stuff I thought was special, oh, it's all going to come down to the Royal Rumble or or it's all going to come down to um, the, the Robert Scorpio's wedding on General Hospital. It turned out it didn't. It's it, like it just dating, kept going and it happened again. It's like dating a girl with a personality disorder. 
your, you know, every week or guy, a, every or guy. Let's be or, careful. Or a non-binary person. Every week there's a uh, there's a new crisis. You work all week as though this is the worst thing that's ever happened. You solve the crisis in the end, and then there's a new crisis on Monday, and you never ever get. You never, ever get ahead of the game. There's never not a crisis. Maybe you have three hours between when you solved the last crisis and when the new crisis arrives. I haven't, like, I've been uh, married to the same extremely stable woman for 20 years. Yeah. But I do have two teenagers, and so this is relatable. You know what I mean. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> uh, this time, this time they will learn from the lesson that, yes. that, that did not take the last eight times. Or also, you know, any ability to say, remember when this happened? <laughs> right. And so... Can't we just... What if this time we skip the part where you create all this unhappiness? <laughs> yeah, just jump ahead to when it all worked out. But uh, but I did, I'm did. i sure I've told you this story, but I spent my first Thanksgiving away from home. Uh, I had just turned 18. I was in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. And this I, is a WrestleMania story, right? Yeah, and I... Uh, I was all alone, and uh, and a friend of mine worked at Dayton's department store in the ticketing department and he gave me, and he, and that friend is a listener of this program, Richard Hadley, who, uh, who, Richard. who is uh, a member of the Futurelings group on Facebook. Richard had two tickets to WrestleMania because he had somewhere to be on Thanksgiving. He had family or friends even. Find your saddest friend, send them to pro wrestling on Thanksgiving. So he gave me these two tickets. He was like, you can scalp one and use the other to stay off the streets. And so I went out front, I sold the one ticket, I bought Kentucky Fried Chicken, like a bucket of chicken, and went in and sat up in the stands and watched watched the whole ticket, you know, the whole card. You're a man of the people. Eating my chicken. Well, I've told this story before, somebody just a couple of weeks ago actually found the card, the Thanksgiving Day uh, WrestleMania in 1986 in Minneapolis and, and posted on the internet. So did, I, did it bring back good memories? You're like, oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Well, what a, what a match that was. So the, the person that found it, uh, who was on, you know, the, uh, the message board associated with my Patreon, patreon.com slash John Roderick, uh, he had all these questions like, oh, this was, you know, there was no, there was no Hulk Hogan on this, but there were these wrestlers that went on to become famous, like, you characters. What an early chance to see. Yeah, see somebody stand on a stepladder and unscrew a light bulb and, and throw it at somebody else who was whose manager was wearing a, a headdress. <laughs> and I honestly, I couldn't remember a thing about it. All I remember <laughs> was was my tears dripping down onto my fried chicken. I, I just uh, occurred to me the fried chicken is a stand-in for Thanksgiving turkey. In That's what story. it was. That's what it was. Perfect. I, I love a Thanksgiving dinner. I don't know about you. Sure. But, you know, like Thanksgiving, tur- it's the one day a year I eat turkey with gravy and stuffing. If it was really good, you'd eat it every day. The fa- but the fact is, there's something commemorative or special about it. Yeah, right. And I think the fact you don't have it all the time is what That's makes right. it so like, this is it. This is the perfect a number of times a year to have cranberry sauce. This one. is my one chance to have creamed onions. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I got the fried chicken. It was not the same. But But I was astonished by the... By the reaction from the crowd, the enthusiasm, the fact that everyone really did feel invested in the story arcs. They brought homemade signs, you know. This is what I was going to try to get at, because unlike you, I did have a moment of like fascination with uh, 1980s era pro wrestling. You were feeling fascination? 
I was you, feeling fascination. Were you looking, learning, and then moving on? I mean, there are probably a lot of people who do feel a certain kind of teen fascination and like they like looking and learning at pro wrestling, but then they come out, you know, and I have not well, yet. In what sense do you mean come out? As gay. Oh, I see what you're saying. This is a this is a uh, they're, an opportunity. They're watching. It's a chance to watch with their dads to watch well oiled men, you know, pound each other into the into the canvas. Right. Uh, and I have not yet come out. There's still time. Sure, there I'm is. in my late forties. Sure, there is. I have decades to figure out my sexuality. Uh, you're you're you, you identify as married right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's different than gay or straight. It's closest to asexual. Yeah. No. Uh, I am happily, I'm happily heterosexually married, which is a bummer now because it's, you know, what square. Right. It's not very fashionable, but you and Mindy make out all the time, don't you? You're rolling around. We're making, we were making out right now before every time you talk on the show for more than 10 minutes about fried chicken, it's because Mindy and I are making out and you're trying to stretch a non-story. Like, oh, Mindy, I love you. And then we make that sound. Okay. But it's me doing both voices. It's like it's on my hand. Talking to a skeleton in a oh, chair. Okay. I have the, I have a little like person drawn <laughs> on my Winslet. my thumb and index finger knuckle. Uh, like it, in my case, it might have there might have been some scarcity mentality because we did not have a hundred basic cable satellite channels. Did you have Benny Hill? We had uh, Armed Forces Network, so it did have Benny Hill. See, there you go. Because you know who's horny, like GIs <laughs> in Korea. All you need is Benny Hill, and that that covers for a lot. But I never stayed up late. I'll, I remember all my friends would be like, AFN played Benny Hill last night at 11.30. Like, it was chasing girls around in, in stockings. <laughs> there was a park bench. <coughs> uh, the, but they did show wrestling because, again, what does a, what does a 1980s GI audience want to see? Right. Uh, so pro wrestling was on every Saturday afternoon. And it was this terrible WWF show where, like, no actual matches happened. Like, for some reason, their syndicated show had no like top of the card matches. It was always just some, some name wrestler fighting a no name wrestler or jobber. Oh. Uh, and so you would just, you know, who was going to win. It'd be like, here's this guy with this elaborate Cape and uh, walkout music. And he's from parts unknown and he's going to breathe fire. And then it's like, and here's <laughs> Jeremy Miller from Calgary. And Jeremy Miller would just get his a kicked. Right. Well, I don't, I'm, somebody who should write in and explain to us why this show existed. But I was just very fascinated by maybe on the on the um, it's the same reason a lot of kids that age got into Marvel comics and hip hop because there were feuds and larger than life costumes and uh, you know personas, smack talk, you know big melodramatic dialogue of the kind teens and preteens like. Did the did the show that you watched have all the interviews, the pre-show and post-show interviews where everybody's like, ah, yes. and the funny thing is today, everything I love about wrestling, I don't think I could have appreciated at that age. Like today you admire the improv of those guys yeah. being able to be like, well, let me tell you, Mean Gene, you know? <laughs> and at the time I was like, when are they going to get back to the, and they, the, they didn't really have the athleticism and the aerialism. I mean, they did, but I wasn't really appreciating it. Uh, you know, all the stuff I love about, or, you know, I can appreciate about the sport today. I'm not a wrestling fan, but all the stuff I do get about it and dig about it today, I don't think, I think would have been lost on me. I was just kind of staring at, at bright colors. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't know what the, the, yeah. Imagining well, uh, Kung Fu movies. It's just imagining yourself as someone physically capable who can throw a roundhouse kick. I, but I was never like, wow, he really put over that move. For one thing, I thought it was real. Like, I do not remember, I mean, I was like, I do not remember learning that uh, Santa Claus was not real, if indeed, oh. if indeed he is not. Right. 
but I do spoiler rem- alert. But I do remember my t- yeah. Who's listening to this with their four year old? Sorry, <laughs> but I do remember my dad being like, "Ah, oh, pro wrestling so good." I remember. I remember when my dad told me it was fake, and I was like, "When he what now?" Crestfallen. <gasps> well, see, and this is the this is the difference between me probably being thirteen and you being nine years old yeah. watching the same thing. There's a big difference between wh- how we would have how we would have. Uh, I don't know what interpreted it. And AFN did get the big live events. Like I do remember watching, I mean, WrestleMania three is kind of uh, wrestling's coming out again in the eighties, not in the, not in the other sense, but, but like, just like we're in the gorgeous George era, this is now um, mass media, national television. We sold a hundred thousand tickets at the silver dome kind of entertainment. These are marquee names that your mom has heard of Hulk Hogan and Andre the giant. Sometimes they're in Rocky or Princess Bride movies. Right. Uh, like, this is a big deal. This is no longer just for weirdos. And I remember, you know, and of course the Army put this on live, or, you know, maybe tape delayed, but Saturday, yeah. satellite, middle of the afternoon in Korea. And I remember just being like, wait, this is better than when Jeremy Miller got stomped by Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Like, this is like, this is a big deal. Like, belts are going to get exchanged. These are both huge stars. Yes. And they also have backstories and... Uh, and, and stakes. You were not right. wrong about the stakes because right. I was like, wow, so wait. The, uh, uh, you know, Hulk could lose his belt? Hulk Hogan could lose his belt? Wow. What would that even mean? How? If a bad guy, a, a guy as bad as Andre... Uh, and at the time, I had never seen wrestlers switch. Oh, from good to bad. Well, that was a thing that started to happen more prevalently later, right? I remember... I think, at least, when wrestling first became a, a mass media thing, it was pretty clear who was good and bad, and there wasn't a ton of like, now I'm good. Yeah, somebody actually wrote into us late, lately to say, you know, I had mentioned Gorgeous George fighting, you know, your local fake Nazi or commie, and he was like, no, George was a heel. He would have fought your local, you know, babyface and probably won. But it's true that I had just never seen that before. So the first time I saw some wrestler be like, you know, betray his tag team partner and suddenly become a heel. I was like, wait, what? You know, it was yeah, like yeah. being learning that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Like you've never seen this trope and you're amazed. No. So there's something. That's, that's Darth Vader. That's, that's really good. Thanks. But doesn't Luke say no? Well, Luke says, no. <laughs> but then there's, isn't, isn't that some retcon where Darth Vader, where the emperor is going. Oh yeah. Like, Jedi. Ah! And instead of, Instead of Darth Vader just throwing him into a thing, doesn't he say like they had, no! a, they had a James Earl Jones say, "I'm changing my mind." <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird <laughs> uh, to appeal to the to the the greater literalism in today's movie. He's not a audience. subtle director. I've had a change of heart, <laughs> and then he throws him. So I was very into. The early Vince McMahon WWF. Did you have a like a Stretch Armstrong doll? Did you did you play with wrestling? I didn't have the little action figures, although I think some of my friends did. We did find out you could get WWF magazine on the army base, right? And we always did because that was where the wrestlers like talked behind the scenes. And at the time, the the kayfabe around wrestling, the um, the protection of the of the of the audience from the reality, you know the 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 heightened storyline aspect of wrestling was impenetrable. You know, they would, they would never wink at, no, at the reality of the situation. And, you know, I think for the first couple of months I was watching and I was like, 
wow, this guy really is from darkest Africa. And, How he's, is this? and he's, he's using voodoo on this poor guy from, from Florida, I guess. Or How this is nice this Canadian man. In the United States of America <laughs> these days. I guess being, being in Korea, I was more credulous than I would have been. What's funny is in 1982, I was actively reading Soldier of Fortune magazine, and a lot of those... These are the same kids, but then yeah. just five years later, they switch from wrestling magazines to soldier, bodybuilding to Soldier of Fortune. Yeah, and during that time, like Soldier of Fortune magazine had all of these like Dutch and Afrikaans uh, guys who were fighting in Rhodesia. Come to Rhodesia and help us fight against the, you know, you know. <laughs> and they all, you know, they all had cool costumes and had cigars in there and, you know, and they were like always field stripping AK-47s and it just, it felt just as real to me. Like, wow, yeah, soldiers of fortune. I mean, the funny Rhodesia. thing is, the funny thing is we're laughing now about this, um, it was like magazines being like, come defend an apartheid state, you know? <laughs> yeah. What a crazy thing to show young American boys. Incredible. But, you know, it was all part of the big, like, I mean, the ultimate wrestling match between the Soviet Union and the United right. States of America. As depicted on screen in a series of Schwarzenegger movies where he was the ultimate bodybuilder slash wrestler slash cold warrior. Um, and these kind of things would play out in With wrestling. A weird Austrian accent, right? Super confusing. That's you know that's but, making me question my own uh, orientation. I mean, if Chuck Norris had had anything close to the screen presence of Arnold Schwarzenegger, we would not have needed to import a, uh, a very Iron Curtainish, Slavicish kind of a star, right? I mean, Teutonic, yes, but you know, he should have been playing the Russian in those movies. Yeah, but he 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 had too much charisma. He did have a lot of charisma. Chuck Norris was just like 25% short. Oh, but he was more than that. He was 40%. You know, Chuck Norris, you're like, tap, tap, tap. Does he need, is his battery running low? <laughs> he will fight fake ninjas, but he will never fight a real evil empire. John, would you agree that we are driven by what ifs? I certainly am. What if? What are the what ifs in your life? Oh, there's so many. What if I had been a little bit cooler in high school? Would that coolness have translated to greater coolness nope you have a limited amount of coolness in your life and the more you use in high school the less you have in adulthood next oh that's true uh what if i had bought bitcoin in 2010 that's true you'd be much happier yeah, yeah. what if my car could fly that'd be pretty cool would it though i wouldn't sit in traffic yeah but if your car could fly every other punter would <laughs> no. also have a flying car only my, somehow only my car flies <laughs> oh and also it can, I should have said it can also land. Yeah, that's, I guess that's cool. But I think for the purposes of this ad, I think you and I agree on the most important what if. Well, what if hiring didn't have to be so that's hard? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. How, every day, I think, what if finding someone great could be as easy as just asking them to apply? What's funny is it, if it I, haunts me. If I had bought Bitcoin in 2010, I would have hired a bunch of people. You know, I'd have an accountant. I'd have, probably have a lawyer. I'd have an assistant. Might have an executive chef. But I wouldn't know where to find any of those people. I've got great news, John. Your dream hiring platform already exists. There's no what if about it. You need Indeed. Oh, Indeed. Indeed. What if their tagline was something like, yes, Indeedy do. Indeedly do. We should, I think we could get that to happen. Well, no, I, I always say it like Omar. Indeed. Indeed. Indeed come in. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire new candidates all in one place. Look, I don't have a ton of time, Ken. Is there? You can't just be hanging out on multiple job sites. No. I, to do all those things. So, so I mean, is this going to take a ton of time? 
Indeed puts all these people at your fingertips in one place. They've got these amazing time-saving tools like Instant Match, mm. assessments, mm. virtual interviews. All these things on the copy are in capital letters, so I know they're good. Uh-huh. Well, what about what about people that have used Indeed in the past? Have they managed to get quality candidates? Yes. the tr- Indeed's track record is unparalleled. Over 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed to hire talent. And 80% of employers get, report that they get quality candidates using that instant match tool. That, that means candidates whose resume exactly matches the job description. And you don't have to wait for them to trickle in. The second you post a job, you get those instant match results. Let me ask you this. Will Indeed assessments give me a window into how candidates will, will be on the job? Is that a question you've had for a long time? Well, about whether indeed assessments will give you that kind of window. The thing is, this is the thing. I need to be able to assess candidates to know how they'll be. Is on this the guy going to be a good executive chef? Yeah. So is this? Does this platform offer that service? Yeah, it takes all that stress out of the interview process because you can pre-select for the you know this massive list of hard skills and soft skills, so that you you know that the people coming into interview or virtual interview already match all of your pre-requirements. Well, if that sounds right for you, listen to this. You can start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash omnibus. That offer is good for a limited time. So claim that $75 credit now by going to indeed.com slash omnibus. Indeed.com slash omnibus. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yes, indeedy do. Indeed. So, wrestling was uh, briefly the biggest entertainment in the world, and then it kind of had a down period, and then it kind of came back to the degree that it's it's quite mainstreamed today. You know, some of our some of our biggest movie stars, The Rock and John Cena. You know, these these people came to us out of the wrestling rings where they honed their their physical presence, but also the kind of the improv, improvisatory stuff. The Rock learned to you and I talked raise about. that one eyebrow, which you know yeah, must have w- taken him a decade. Without all those steroids, Vince was giving him injecting directly into his <laughs> into his left brow. Would he have ever been able to? Could, uh, my muscles can't do that. I'm just too clean a liver, I guess. What accounts for the for the downturn? I mean, I guess it was so big it, it had only one direction it could go. The post eighties one actually was pretty literally a steroid crisis, where it turned out that all these guys had just been taking an unhealthy amount of stuff. McMahon was exonerated in court. He said, well, I didn't make him do it. Uh, But it really kind of soured young people. The sport no longer seemed so all-American as when, uh, you know, a Canadian playing an American was beating up a Lithuanian playing a Russian. That's That's pretty tight. (laughs) That's what made it very mainstream. I love Vince McMahon memes, even even unto this day. Well, the Vince McMahon memes come out of that era of him having to rebrand himself in in kayfabe terms as as a kind of an evil mastermind. Because he had become a real-life defendant and just as he probably will be around the time this episode comes out, you know, now that he's a, a sex pest and a disgraced Is that right? Trump figure. When did he become a sex pest it and a turns out rich oh. it turns out rich right wingers have always been sex pests. Uh, his crimes have recently been detailed. But it's okay. one of the it's one of the cases where it's stuff he was doing for twenty years and they finally got a critical mass of people to come forward and grab the social media attention for a a moment to wrest it away from whatever. It's amazing how little I care. Yes. But that's because wrestling is kind of its own little, its own little world. Right. You can can easily decide, you know what? I don't partake. I don't know if mankind uh, is now 
uh, Cactus Jack or Mick Foley or I, I'm I'm aware that it exists and though there are those that love it. It's wonderful to me to also feel that way about the Marvel comic universe. Like I feel so, and honestly, Star Wars. It must be more freeing in that case because then it's almost approaching. I don't even have a TV. It well it, because which I, is those also the, my catchphrase. Those are the two biggest media properties in the world, and you can be like, "Oh, I can't. I don't understand this." Yeah, no, I There's just moonwalk movie. out of there, and I and I can go to the movies just fine. But like the all the all the problems with them. I don't have to yes. take a side. I don't have to. It is care. really nice. Here's my take. I kind of enjoy every movie. Oh, and it's lovely. Wait, every movie, like including my dinner with Andre, and yeah, like every, every film, every movie I see. It's very rare for me to have uh, just revulsion. Like, why am I watching this? Really? And unfortunately, it's also rare to have like. Did you ever see Dick Tracy? What a masterpiece! <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Dick Tracy two or three times, and I have some lovely things to say about the oh. the four color design <laughs> costume. Dustin Hoffman in the makeup. I think Madonna's very good in it. Oh. Wow. See, like, it's so easy. Strong. It's so easy to just be like, well, that was two air-conditioned hours. Yeah. My my good, defi- or, you know, my good friend and yours, uh, Sean Nelson of Harvey Danger, always could find something wonderful to say about a movie. And a lot of times I would say, everything about that movie was garbage. And he was like, didn't you see that amazing panning shot across the, you know, where the sun was going down and they, and they caught the birds? That's and, it. And I'm like, the panning shot? What I just we, I just need one good scene, yeah, and then I have something to think about. I'm impressed by out. that, frankly. I, I I admire that. It leads to a great deal of tranquility, and it leads you to it leads people to stay off the internet, telling Letterboxd, you know, the structural problems with this movie are the following: number one, the yeah. plot hole regarding the conclusion; number two, these two characters should have been conflated into one; number three, I, I boy, I have nothing in common with that impulse, but but I do. But you're right that I do go home and go. Pfft. On things, just and I don't. Why? Why do I need to? Just embrace to. my approach to art. This is fine. It's fine. This is all fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm going to do a mail order thing. This is all fine. <laughs> Seeing art the Ken Jennings way. How do you feel about G.G. Allen? Have you ever consumed the works? It's fine. Of... <laughs> oh, the works of G.G. Allen I mean, are I, fine. At some point, you have to be like, well, what do you think about the anti-Semitic operas of Richard Wagner? Right. And then you have to be like, it's no, not as fine. It's problematic. Yeah. That's what, that's why the word problematic exists. Oh, it's see. the opposite of, of it's fine. It's fine. I'm I'm not drawing any judgment. I'm just saying that yeah. theoretically problems exist. Yeah, nobody can argue with you. It's problematic. I'm not even the the uh, subject of the sentence. I'm not saying I found it problematic. <laughs> it's it's problem it's, it's it's the ultimate cowardice. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's so wrestling. This this uh, this show about Farmer Burns was suggested by a listener who goes by the confusing name of Delta Tango, possibly his his ring name. I don't know. It might or her. be it might be a reference to the Delirium Tremens. Mm. They might call themselves DTs because they're some kind of cool alcoholic. That's and probably like, it's probably their initials. It's probably their initials right. in, in NATO alphabet. So DT, let's throw out some guesses. Don Treadle. Donald Trump has listened to this show. <laughs> And we know about his, his wrestling world connections. He does have He them. wants to hear about the early history of American wrestling. He showed up at, at wrestling, didn't he? And He's uh, been at a WrestleMania. Talked some smack. Yeah. And he got, you know, seven-figure donations from the McMahon family. They're, they're, big, they're big MAGA types. Oh, Just like all those kind of quasi-mobbed-up Northeastern sports guys. Yeah, it's the steroids. Small promoter. You know, because Trump was a, you know, he was a USFL guy. He was kind of into... Bush League prom- sports promotions when he thought he could see a de- when he thought he had a deal. I mean, that's what a, how I would describe his presidency. <laughs> right. sort of a Bush League sports promotion. 
Uh, and even in office, you couldn't really tell what the kayfabe was, you yeah, know? Right. Like on Twitter, sometimes he would just be like, Kristen Stewart, you can do better than Robert Pattinson. And I'd think <laughs> it's a it's a pretty funny bit. I I don't even know if he knows it is or even if that matters. Yeah, what's the in-universe thing? When does he ever turn to camera and wink? He never does. But the wrestlers never do either. That's very right. important. That kind of bluster they always keep up, I think, is very familiar to anyone who watched the Trump presidency. And, and just the, the kind of the the naive skill with which they do it. And you think, well, I could, this is dumb, but I couldn't do it. No, uh, I couldn't either. You know, cause, cause you'd break up, right? Wouldn't right. you? You'd be like, <laughs> these guys have to be dead. Serious. And they have to, you know, people are going to get mad at me when I say wrestling is fake. It's not fake. No, it's scripted. Scripted. But you have, you know, big guys just wailing the hell out of each other and doing, doing dangerous, uh, high precision, maneuvers but aren't the floors of those uh, rings made out of uh, mattress springs Not or does really. it really hurts to yeah fall i mean that you're, far? You're, you're, you know if you fall 30 feet from the top of a cage into an announcer's table and you're an old man like uh who was that mick foley or whoever was like that's not a smart idea right and the it doesn't matter if the ring gives a little or if the turnbuckles are a little bit padded like did you see the latest jackass padding. movie I did not. I saw the trailer 106 times. It's not really very good, but there are some scenes where you're like, wow. Those guys are too old to be doing that. Wow. That's what I thought. You're like 55 years old, my friend. I guess the key is to have enough of those brain injuries early on that you don't see the risk when you're in your 50s. You see the fear in their eyes (laughs) where you didn't, you know, in the first first Jackass movie or on the TV show, they had had no fear. And now you see they're all terrified. They're just like, oh, this is really going to hurt. And I... I don't know how many more of these I can do. Every parent yearns to have their teen achieve that. The object permanence of like, oh, wait, this thing is dumb. Like, I should stop doing this dumb thing. Sometimes sometimes it happens at eight, sometimes it happens at 28. No, I was about 42, I think. <laughs> Between 42 and 46. And the jackass guys were maybe about the same age. So, so well done. Yeah, thank you. Um, but wrestling goes back before its status as a kind of a, 20th century carny type promotion. And we're going to look at those origins. When you hear about Abraham Lincoln wrestling, for example, hmm? are, are you aware that, are you aware of wrestling as a frontier, a good frontier time for, for lanky, for lanky, uh, tall drinks of water like Abraham Lincoln? Well, but I assumed it was real in the sense of it being like a, an actual contest of skill and strength. And no, he was doing elbow drops off the turnbuckle <laughs> onto Stephen Douglas. Like that's why, that's why everybody came to those debates. I've read the Stephen Douglas <laughs> debates and there are no, there are no high kicks. Very few hammer locks. No. Uh, no, you're right. The The wrestling they practiced was... Um, Just shy of knife fighting. It has more in common with our modern professional wrestling than it does with, say, Greco-Roman wrestling, though. But, I mean, what about, like, when... You're not going to tell me that ultimate fighting isn't real, are you? <laughs> no, mixed because, martial arts are all. Because when I watch those, which I sometimes do, I'm very impressed by the athleticism. Right. And, and wrestling's kind of had to adapt to a world where you can see that and, and know that there's not a funny storyline. You know, wrestling's had to both amp up the storyline so they give you something that MMA doesn't and to like actually give you real athletes, uh-huh. you know, because... Because we've all seen Jackie Chan and MMA fighters now, and we're not going to put up with right some, you know, some guy big with guys a, lumbering that's sixty pounds overweight throwing himself around. Like at the you know in the eighties, they could put over a very old Andre the Giant who could hardly do anything, and they would just have to stage the matches very carefully. Same, you know, the same when any wrestler got old. Steve but, Austin got hurt. But you're saying got Abe, old. honest Abe, when he was a young guy, 
was out on the frontier, uh, uh, like just wrestling with the, his fellow young uh, lawyers. But not just on a in a vacant lot, but for money. People were paying him or paying to see it. I think it, it was recreational. He was oh. he was not on any kind of a circuit. I think for them it was more like, hey, we got ten minutes and we don't have Uno has not been invented. Uh, you mean like while the judges in chambers were <laughs> we're going to take off loosen our ties and go <laughs> wrestle in the? I think it, I think it lasted well into adulthood for these guys, just because you know it was a there's not you don't you can't look at your phone basically. It's a time without many pastimes. So let's go throw a hatchet at a fence or let's see if we can, uh, let's see who I can pin to the uh, Illinois clay first. If we didn't have phones and computers, do you think in between shows you and I would feel compelled to wrestle? Oh yeah, almost certainly. How, what, what would your strategy be in dealing with somebody like me who could potentially cover you like a blanket? I think I'd have to learn certain kinds of uh, pressure points, mm-hmm. maybe known only to those with Eastern wisdom. Some judo in, in a way that you could use my... Use your weight against yeah, you? Yeah, that's how you'd have this to This is a thing I don't even know if is real, <laughs> but I have heard secondhand about judo. I'm going to use your weight against you. Yes. But somehow get out of the way, because otherwise your weight's going to like involve me in ways that uh, my frame could not support. Well, and it would require that I move first, too. Right. Whereas I just sort of stand there like an oak. Wait for, and you just have to. I don't know what you would do. Gravity is still acting on you. That's I have true. to. I have to some kind of. I have to trick or feint you into 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 using your weight in some way. You'd make me go this way, and then I would just fall. The wrestling that was practiced on the frontier that you know Abe Lincoln or or uh, Joseph Smith even. There's lots of huh? Mormons have lots of Abraham Lincoln style stories about you know the Prophet Joseph just wrestling with kids in Nauvoo because because that was what you know good time guys did yeah. on the frontier. Yeah. Uh, it Teach them life skills. It was known as catch wrestling. That was short for uh, catch is catch can. In other words, you know, a way of saying anything goes. Now, it wasn't strictly anything goes wrestling, but it was a lot m- freer than something like Greco-Roman wrestling where there's a, a very small number of, of holds are allowed, nothing below the waist. Um uh, there was no time limit, you know, it's, it was, you know, matches could be longer and wilder because it would just go till somebody was pinned or, or, or put into a submission hold. Um, but it wasn't the craziest that there could be. There was also loose hold wrestling, which derived, you know, these styles all came from a bunch of different kinds of European, largely British traditions mingled together, regional British and Irish, uh, kinds of, uh, wrestling that would be done at a at a coal mine or a lumber camp or something. Right. Um, a village fed. Board strapping guys, you know, stripped to the waist. Uh, in, but you couldn't chokehold somebody. It wasn't that, it wasn't that. So the no chokehold was controversial. There were submission holds. Oh. Pinning, mm. pins were more common. Pins were a more common way to end a catch is catch can wrestling match. Um, so often you would use submission holds as a way to get somebody to be like, uncle, uncle, pin me, you know. Uh, and... You know, again, there's going to be the homoeroticism of this episode is going to be off the charts. Uh, but uh, oh, I never thought of it that way, Uncle. Uncle, it's a little bit. Uh, yeah, you probably don't want Uncle to be your safe word, honestly. <clears throat> well, not that, not just that, but it's a, you know, it's a little bit incest, incest. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's exactly oh, why. Saying. Yeah, right. Like pick a pick a name that does not involve <laughs> like older male relatives, cousin, please. Cousin. Um, that's no better, honestly, No, but like there was a Lancashire kind of wrestling that was extremely violent and dangerous where really almost anything did go like, Figures. let's dislocate a finger, let's gouge an eye, let's bite, you know, like whatever it takes to get the pin. 
Um, and I think often it would just stop at, at breaking bones. Hey, if you've broken his bone, yeah, buddy, it's over. This, where do you think you are? <laughs> like Scotland? This is Lancashire wrestling. Uh, but in but so catch as catch can you know didn't go that far. You know nobody wanted anybody to break in a finger, but it was you know it, you know it was it was pretty brutal compared to the the well behaved mm-hmm. the classical wrestling of yore that somebody at at Oxford or Cambridge might might mix in with their with their Marcus of Queensbury boxing. Right. And it reached the U.S. in the late 19th century where it, you know, propagated in the same places you'd expect. Uh, coal mines and lumber yards and railroad camps. Dodge City. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the West was starting to put down their revolvers at those at that point, right? It was no longer You had to like, check them in when you came into town. Yeah, you can't just shoot anybody you want. And so there must have been kind of a pivot. Yeah, I think our freewheeling idea of, uh, you know, uh, lead flying everywhere in the Old West is a little bit revisionist. And many, most towns were like, please leave those with the marshal. We don't have that kind of thing here. Right. But certainly by 1890. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This, but they, in the U.S., they found a circuit that uh, apparently had not been a popular wrestling outlet in the old world, which was carnivals. Traveling fun fairs would crisscross the... The Northeast, the Midwest, you know, even out onto the frontier. And when wrestling, when British, you know, uh, rural British wrestling hit carnival culture, that's kind of the birth of of 20th century wrestling. You know, because t- to this day, all the the inside wrestling terms that fans use, you know, heels for bad guys, baby faces for good guys, kayfabe for the, for the pretense um, jobbers for the, the, and this is all carny slang. This is a mix of athleticism and carny culture. You know, uh-huh. what can we put over on the rubes today? Um, you know, how, how can we think they're getting a bigger show than they are? How can we create a, a, a exotic backstory for, you know, in, in a carnival it would be, you know, a, a person with some kind of a disability, like what kind of exotic backstory will, will make people fascinated in this, uh, very large man or, or very large, you know, little man or large woman or whatever it is. Same with, you know, if these two guys are fighting, what can we say that makes people think, well, this is something I can't see at the bar. Was it a thing that, that was it a thing where like the, the bad guy was English Bob, uh, somebody, it was like a British guy fighting like a, like a, like a Western hero, or was it just whatever two guys would put their, their, that kind of stuff started small and it started in the late 19th century. And it kind of started with the generation of Martin Burns, uh, the future farmer Burns, you know, the fact that he becomes farmer Burns lets you know what kind of gimmicks these guys are going to have, but you know, a guy fighting in overalls and saying, yeehaw, I'm from the country. That was one of the most popular 20th century wrestling promotions from most popular gimmicks from Haystack Calhoun up to, um, I mean, in the eighties, somebody like Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, you know, a lot of these guys are just kind of rural, good old boys. All you have to do is put them in bib overalls, but unhitch one of the straps. One. Yeah. If they have a big beard and for some reason they can't hitch that other strap. <laughs> it came loose because of the moonshine. <laughs> um, Martin Burns was born in 1861 in Iowa, uh, in a log cabin, as was the style at the time. He has uh, a mom and dad, a brother, and five sisters. So it's a family of nine, as was the style at the time. Probably mm-hmm. all in one shockingly small log cabin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All this, all the kind of the hand wringing and, and pearl clutching about ten, immigrant tenements, 
must have been matched by some of this prairie living, right? Like, well, uh, they've got a lot of space so. out there, but not in a, you're not going to build something expansive for your eight kids. You know what it was? Out on the prairie, you're not going to get typhus from your neighbor's poop. That's true. Yeah. It's only from your own poop. Right. Right. And if you, if you make your poop hole far enough away from the cabin. Which you could do. Yes. In a tenement, the privy had to be like three feet that way. Right. Unfortunately, this family of nine loses their dad at age 11. As was the style of the time. Again, as was the style of the time. Suddenly, mom is raising two boys and five girls, and it falls on Martin to try to help make ends meet. So at the age of 11, he's going from local farm to local farm saying, hey, what can I do? Um, I'll saw wood. I'll plow your corn. I'll, I'll dig. He was digging graves at one point. Pretty much any odd job that could bring home uh, you know, a, a handful of coins to try to just keep some food on the table, or, or probably more likely not coins at all. Bring home a chicken. Bring home a chicken. Yeah, or a bag of flour. It's funny how digging graves so often plays in the backstory of of a hero, right? It just It's like at one point they dug graves. I wonder I wonder how – I, I even have a friend who was like, yeah, one of my first jobs was working in a graveyard. Really? Even, yeah. in, even in the backhoe era, there's still got to be – Well, if not digging them, then – uh, then I don't know, waving a shovel around, keeping the crows out. Mm. I, you know, I don't, he, he worked in a cemetery and, and they actually like, were always at war with the crows, which just feels like, <laughs> the crow, how dark the, is this? The story? crows cannot get to the bodies. The, what are the crows going to do there besides eat somebody's left behind labor, uh, Memorial Day Doritos? I don't know. Maybe it's just a bad look. If your cemetery is covered <laughs> with a murder of crows. I mean, that's what, that's what I would look for in a cemetery. Oh yeah, me too. I guess that's the post Hamlet trope of the, uh, the mopey guy hanging out with the gravedigger. Yeah. Know? Hamlet's like, I'm so sad. I'm just going to literally hang out in a graveyard. And like 10 generations of teens have been like, whoa. It, it, it feels like if you're, if you're, if your funeral is in November and it's kind of misty and everyone's wearing dark overcoats, then the graveyard should be full of crows. But if you have a July funeral, <laughs> It's just irritating. Yeah, what are the crow? No. Can you guys keep it down? Yeah, shouldn't the shouldn't the cemetery have have uh, I don't know kingfishers in it? Is that the natural enemy of the crow in your mind? <laughs> just we had all these crows, but then we sicked one kingfisher on them. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know this being the Iowa frontier of the 1870s. From eight years old on, he's wrestling other lads, and mm-hmm. he's he's good at it. Like this is just a common playground thing you know after your one hour of school a day you know he would he would be wrestling in the dirt on the way home and he's gifted for it he's so good at it that by his teen years he is plowing corn by day and then wrestling at night and it's the kind of i think at this point to answer your question it's the kind of thing where yeah you know passersby are willing to put down side bets on which of these two hunky local teens with one Overall unstrapped can pin the other, right? Which I don't want to speculate about Again, the sexuality of the American West. Well, just just that the you know that the it's a teen spectacle. Yeah, a little problematic. They're but, you know, it was a different time, different time, different time. He becomes he's pretty much a celebrity in Denison, Iowa terms, which is possibly the lowest level of celebrity. <laughs> I think there are smaller towns in Iowa that you could be a celebrity in. That, but but Denison is not. It's not. It's not the biggest town. By the age of 19, uh, he has actually wrestled his first professional. There must have been maybe, a, a car, I'm guessing, a carny on, a, on some kind of a circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, he fights this actual 
Pro, uh, one, I think, David Graft, I think, to a two-hour and 19-minute draw. Come on. Two hours and 19 minutes. How much of that time was them just circling each other? <laughs> Doing the thing where they clap each other on the <laughs> shoulders and then try to... try to. Cl- yeah. That's the thing about Greco-Roman wrestling. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, abortive clasping. Yeah, abortive clasping. Two guys That's trying to, like, it. two guys trying to, like, get a hand on somebody's shoulder and the ribs for some reason. Uh-huh. I don't know why to use their weight against them. Probably. Well, it's all uh, it's, there's rules. There right. are rules. Ken. I'm inviting, we're inviting so many actual knowledgeable people <sighs> with, with, with our, with our feigned rubbery. Yeah. As there, always, there are going, there are going to be a lot of comments on this episode <laughs> and I'm here for it. Uh, he starts. So once he's won his, you know, at some point he starts working for the railroad, which is coming through Iowa, which means he's in a grading camp. I guess the first group of guys that's just trying to, I mean, Iowa's already pretty flat, but for a railroad track, it's got to be. Yeah, but over on this side, over by flat. Denison, you know, it's roll. It's uh, oh no, I guess that's the flat side. I was just in Denison. Really? Yeah, it's it's strange. Do you consider yourself a Denison Iowa celebrity? I'm now? a Denison Denison. <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was just passing through. That's a there. rare pun by you. Thank you. I was going from Sioux City to De- Des-, Des Moines, and uh, it's sort of uh, it's on it's you know we were we were on the back roads. We were wending around. I mean, I don't know what part of Iowa he's in at this point, but it's a point, it's a place where a large group of guys has to shovel some dirt in order to get a railroad track through. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know, the land has to be, I mean, I'm no no engineer, but back then I would assume to put railroad track in. It may surprise you to learn that railroads have gone over some pretty bumpy land. They do go up and down. Since then. But, I mean, sometimes you have to go through holes or depressions in said land. You do have to go through holes. Uh, it's, it's one of the famous things. That's why, that's where the main reason trains go into tunnels and movies. How do we to, get th- to make this? us think of going through, going into holes? <laughs> so while he's there, that's a bunch of big guys. And it turns out he can hold his own with any of them. Now, the thing you have to understand about Martin Burns is he weighs 165 pounds soaking wet. So he's a regular medium sized man. I think I still, my driver's license still says 165 pounds. And that is kind of wishful thinking for my early forties. Like he weighs Does less than me. You're, oh, you're, you're more than 165. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. I'm about like, I would love to be back down at 165. I, I dream of being 165 again. So that my driver's license is not a lie. Cause I'm a good citizen. Is this one of those things where you get older and the, and you just weigh more and it's not clear. Yeah. Where, where is it? It's just in between your ribs. I'm just some kind of mesomorph now where it's, you know, my, um, my slightly blousy, uh, button down short sleeve shirt today is concealing <laughs> a little more of a tummy than I used to have. And my, you know, a little bit of a, little bit of a dumper for a game show host. I don't know. You keep fit. I try, but, yeah. but basically what I'm saying is I like, I outweigh this guy by 10 pounds. He's a middleweight. He's not the lumbering wrestler you would expect but given today's o- culture over a hundred years ago so everybody was smaller everybody's smaller but also here's the other funny thing about him despite being my weight or lighter he has a 20 inch neck whoa now a 20 inch neck today would be your biggest linebacker well mine is 18 and a half right and that is and i have a very big one. you've got to be a big dude to have a 20 inch neck. so imagine somebody with my frame and then your neck, but my frame, but smaller and your neck, but bigger. He, he it's a would, terrible Island of Dr. Moreau phantasm. He would look like, um, uh, the guy in the road warrior, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the homunculus. <laughs> Just give us the oil. 
So basically, he had a weird physiognomy that lent itself perfectly to, to wrestling, you yeah. know, to, to staying out of holds and putting guys in holds to the degree that he was uh, his own kind of carnival attraction. For much of his life, he would do a thing called the hangman's drop. Hmm. Oh, what? He would, get, no. he would get into a noose and be dropped six feet and would dangle there with his muscular neck staving off the effects of uh, strangulation and he would whistle Yankee Doodle. This is now that's be, a show. This is that is a show. I would pay to see that. That this has got to be one of those Houdini things where he, if you did it without without him knowing, it would kill him. But he tenses his neck or something. How like. exactly do you put some guy in a hangman's noose and drop him six feet without him knowing? Houdini can walk into a bar and some Canadian yo yo can be like, "Hey Houdini, what's up?" Bam. Very hard to uh, very hard to get somebody on a, on a scaffold. Yeah, maybe, but I, you know, I feel like you could. I, I feel like you could pull it off. Like, hey, why don't you? T- oh, th- you know what would look good on you? This scarf. I'm just, I'm just fitting this scarf on my mom who has a 20 inch neck. Would you come <laughs> over here, Martin? Yeah, and just stand on this platform here under this scaffold. <laughs> he also might be the first and last wrestler named Martin. I'm not sure. He so, would, he would drop six feet. Isn't it a bummer to know that, like you and I, are in show business to varying degrees? Mm-hmm. We will spend our whole lives in multiple fields, never putting on a show as good as. This guy whistling Yankee Doodle from his 20-inch neck. Yeah. And then that was the 1890s or whatever, when all shows were worse. We peaked early. Like today, I would go to, I would see this. This guy probably was at the first Lollapalooza. Perry Farrell was probably like, hey, <laughs> hey, bring out this uh, overall, dude. Can I want to do video? I want to put video are you pivoting my, to video? I really, you know, I got a Patreon. I want to have video content on what there. What are you picturing? Well, you, it's just you noodling on a guitar or, you know, I want to have engaging videos that tell my story and that help me grow my audience and drive engagement and, uh, you know, promote my whole brand. I think people seeing me on video are going to be more convinced. What are you doing? Are you clearing brush in your ravine? Are you doing interpretive dance? Are you doing Polynesian fire dancing on video? All of the above, including, uh, you know, exotic dancing. I'm going to like show you how I can run down my hallway in my socks and slide, how far I can slide. I have some great news yeah. about Squarespace. Oh, Squarespace, beloved Squarespace. Our old friends, that all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business by, by, by creating beautiful websites for you. They make it easy to monetize your content in mm-hmm. a way that fits your brand. You can set up member areas that allow gated access to different kinds of content, like your slide sock videos. Mm-hmm. That's at the $10 level. Online courses, newsletters. Uh, you are going to be monetizing the heck out of your fire dancing in no time. Well, you know, memberships kind of fit with what I do, but what if I had a friend that just wanted to sell their products a la carte? Same thing. Squarespace has templates, easy to use templates that'll help you sell physical or digital products. All the tools you need to start selling things online. Well, I'm going to head to squarespace.com slash omnibus for a free trial. And uh, when I'm ready to launch, I'm going to use the offer code omnibus to save 10% off my first purchase of a website or domain. Are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to use our own 10% off code? Oh, probably not. Also, I already have two Squarespace uh, websites, so I'm not going to need that. Well, let's tell the people you, unlike John and I, you are eligible. Go Mm. to squarespace.com. Slash Omnibus. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting the Omnibus Project. In 1889, he is, uh, as part of his 
you know, he's making his an itinerant living. I assume he's still supporting his his many sisters, his many gingham clad sisters. He is bringing some hogs to Chicago. Mm-hmm. This is your eighth chance to say as was the style at the time. <laughs> but he's got 10 days off before he's supposed to bring the next load back. So our boy is in the big city. Wait a minute. He's bringing the hogs to Chicago and bringing oh, the next bringing, load of what? I don't know. Uh, bacon? Maybe oh. it's the same hogs. Oh, you take the hogs, you bring back the bacon? It takes 10 days to kill them, to slaughter them very uh, in a very humanitarian way. It's like it's like taking old clothes to uh, to a vintage store and selling them, and they're like, yeah, this jacket's you know worth three hundred fifty dollars. We'll give you one hundred dollars for it. <laughs> so you take fifty hogs and you bring back fifty slices of bacon. I gotta admit, I don't know the details of his errand, but he is he has ten days at liberty in Chicago for the first time. And walking around, he sees playbills everywhere. He, you know, he's a wrestling. You know, he's a wrestler at this point. He's, he knows the pros. He knows the big names, and he sees that two big names on the wrestling circuit at the time: Jack Carkeek. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's any relation to the Seattle Carkeeks. Must be. And Evan Strangler Lewis, no relation to Ed Strangler Lewis, who will be a later wrestler. Gives you a sense of whether strangling is is <laughs> on the list of... But it, it tells you, I was going to point this out as an example of what were people's gimmicks back then. Well, this guy is a wrestler who puts you in a hold. That we, guy's we, a farmer. We call him Strangler. <laughs> <laughs> so the gimmicks are not, you know, the uh, the 80s era, this guy is a Georgia correctional officer, but... Then his tag team partner is going to go to Africa and discover that he's actually full of soul. Right. This is the kind of thing that proliferated in the, you know, uh, this guy's an undertaker, but also maybe he's got the ghost of his, of his past manager in this urn and they're going to, they're going to try to bury each other in a ring with dirt in it. And then there's going to be lightning that electrocutes one of them and gives him strange goth powers. I feel like I had punched out of wrestling a long time before all this. You are not going to believe how, uh, outre wrestling can be now if, if you're just used to well this guy's canadian but this guy's got a board he's gonna hit you this guy's got a snake and that guy's got a board who will win do you follow the iron sheik on twitter <laughs> so i actually know a little bit behind the kayfabe that's actually his son i think oh or nephew his nephew i think who runs it for him um but i love the iron sheik on twitter yeah the Iron Sheik was uh, responsible for one of the great 80s kayfabe breaking moments when he and Hacksaw Jim Duggan were pulled over for DUI in the same car. And they're supposed to be... Oh, brutal enemies. They're, yeah, they're supposed to be sworn enemies. And at the time, the WWF rules were, you do not... If you're a heel, you do not drive anywhere with a face and vice, and vice versa. Uh, but these guys got pulled over. And what was their... How did they, how did they explain it? I, th- I think... I think wrestling fans just got an, uh, an unasked for glimpse behind the curtain. Uh-huh. How else could you explain this evil Iranian uh, hanging out with a good American like Hacksaw Jim, a flag-waving American? How indeed. Anyway, uh, in Chicago, Burns sees a sign that says, Jack Karkik and Evan Lewis the Strangler at the Olympic Theater will meet all comers. $25 to anyone staying 15 minutes or $2 per minute after the first seven minutes. No limit to time. Nobody barred. Parson Davis manager. Now, you will perhaps notice that this is also Spider-Man's origin story. (laughs) 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 That he's in the big city and needs money for his struggling family and decides, hey, I don't have a costume, but if I could stay in the ring with with this crazy guy for 15 minutes. But this was a common promotion at the time. And, uh, you know, by the 80s, this was always fake. If some guy lumbered out of the crowd, it was, you'd be like, hey, that guy was in the WCW six months ago. I know who that is. But at the time, this was a common promotion. Just randos could come out of the crowd and wrestle a guy's named Strangler. 
And Burns thinks, well, this is easy money. I can, I can stay 15 minutes in the ring with these sure, guys. Sure, I've got a 20-inch neck. He runs over to Davis's office and signs up. And, uh, and I think one of the wrestlers actually gets a look at him mm-hmm. and says, oh, no, this guy's legit. I'm not doing this. But it was, it was too late to back out. And, you know, Burns insists. And the following night... He steps into the ring with Jack Carkeek and Evan Lewis. Apparently, it's wrestling at the time that this Carney kind of circuit is a bit of a proto vaudeville. Mm-hmm. Um, there are comedy acts before the wrestling. Makes sense. Uh, so he he uh, his opener is J W Kelly, uh, an Irishman who's I guess this was a, a common gimmick at the time. You would just go see an Irish guy in a chair talk blarney. Yeah, and he would just tell the most. Oh, Outlandish yeah. stories <laughs> of the old sod. I be gushing be and you would just you would just listen to a you know uh, like this guy with the gift of gab tell tall tales for this, te- for ten minutes in a chair. This was at a time when you wouldn't rent a room to him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's yeah. That's a that's a funny analog to the maybe the the African American athletes you would go see box or or play baseball or whatever. But you know, heaven forbid they. Uh, they try to stay at your hotel. Yeah, or even come into your part of town. But, you know, exactly. But yeah, you'd sit and listen to them talk like a leprechaun. Uh, and, I mean, it's kind of an odd. We don't have that genre today unless you count NPR, I guess. Just, you know, or podcasts, I guess, right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to listen to this guy talk about nothing for an hour. J.W. Kelly has a bit the worse for wear that night. I don't want to speculate about the Irish, but he's, uh, he's in a bit of a... I'm sure he was up reading poetry late. Yeah. Yeah. He was up reading Yates, and it kind of put him into a confused, altered state um, to the degree that uh, he falls asleep, and, and Burns has to come out and shake him awake and be like, we're on next, uh, you know, wow. put us on. That sounds like an Elliot Smith show in the mid-2000s. <laughs> wow. Wow. Too soon. <laughs> and, uh, and Kelly announces him as Farmer, as Farmer Burns, and then he, he thinks of a joke. I don't know if this is, this doesn't seem true, but the story is that this Irish comedian says, what would you call a man who hoes potatoes and squash and shucks corn? And his uh, his band leader, second banana type, you know, his foil, what do you call that in yeah, comedy? Yeah, a straight right. man says, a farmer. And Kelly says, well then, if the farmer were to get locked up in a house and the house would catch fire, what would happen to the man? And the musician says, Farmer Burns. And that's how they announce Farmer Burns. And from that day on, that was kind of his... His gimmick in his nomenclature. Farmer Burns. Farmer Burns. It was a it was an Irish pun that, huh. no, that no one likes. Uh, and then Burns appears in his big overalls, and they're like, "Oh, I get it. This guy's got a this guy's got a farmer uh-huh. gimmick, and it's quite the show. Like, you know, Burns just tosses Carkeek around the ring for fifteen minutes, and Carkeek can't throw him at all. So it's not just lasting five minutes. Like he. He wipes the floor with this guy. So he didn't like stay in the the requisite amount of time and then win the prize and get out. He yeah, actually he, stayed in and just kicked yeah, their butts. It's the full Peter Parker. He stays oh. in for 15 minutes and Karkeet cannot throw him. And then even Strangler Lewis can't throw him. So some, some, you know the Chicago papers are now like, this unknown farmer just beat two of the greatest wrestlers in the land. And that's the beginning of his uh, professional career. He spent... Big part of the 1890s, just traveling the country, fighting in. Now, these matches at the time were not scripted; these were legit. And uh, some records have his rec has his record at uh, something like six thousand wins and only seven losses. Six thousand. 
wins. Now, let's consider that he might have done this for 20 years. That He's doing it every... He's doing multiple fights. If he's doing it four times a week for 20 years, he still has to fight multiple fights a night, right? 200 shows a year? Yeah, yeah. He would have to be doing one and a half shows... How many, how many a week is that? Six shows a week, maybe? Ah, hang on. 6,000 divided by 52. And I think 20 years is kind of long. I don't think he, I don't think he was well, actually how you would do it, wrestling but... full time. Um, let's do this. Look, it's 50, 50 weeks a year for 20 years is 1,000 nights. Or 1,000 weeks. He's doing six shows a week. So over 20 years, he's doing... So uh, over 20 years, he would be doing 300 shows a year. 300 yeah. wrestling matches a year. Just like in rock, right? Oh, yeah. We all play 300 shows a year <laughs> for 20 years. That's why there's all those 70s era rock songs about how rough the road is. Yeah, but they do that for like three months and then write a whole record about how rough the road is. And the main issue is probably like gonorrhea or herpes. No, it's that, you know, it's that you went into a cafe and somebody misgendered you. <laughs> I, I was thinking of like Bob Seger era rock stars. Yeah, well, that's yes. that's literally a Bob Seger lyric. Oh, is that what he says? Are you a woman or a man? Oh, I see. And he's, he's got, all like, out on the road. Man, I've, I've got to have the long hair of a rocker, but I'm in Georgia. What yeah, do I do? Long hair, except I also, he also had a full brown beard. <laughs> so it was just the guy was yelling at him from behind. I mean, Bob Dylan, I think, is on the road all the time, and so is Willie, but they don't play They're a show every night. shows a year. No. Even at their peak. Um, but, uh, and he, you know, at this time, wrestling's kind of becoming an international sensation where, you know, India will send some mystical wrestler or Japan will send some judoka or, uh, is that the right name? Uh, to the U S and, uh, so you're saying like nation states got involved in farmer Brown, like we're going to take farmer Brown. Yeah. Like it's a big, it's a big card. If, if he's, um, if he's fighting, uh, uh, like a, a, Jap- a Japanese judo expert, like these people have never seen a Japanese guy before. And now he's going to show us you know, wrestling tricks of the far East. Wow. I mean, that, I think that's how martial arts first arrived on these shores as a, as a people would have thought of it as a variant of wrestling. Right. Uh, I would go to see that. Oh, for sure. I mean, it still happens, you know what? Muhammad Ali goes over to Tokyo and gets $3 million to, to try to box some judo guy who's past his prime. They're both past their prime. Probably. I mean, I really want to see like the best fighter from the Lake of the Ozarks take on like the best Aikido master and just see like see what comes of it i bet you that bill is actually that's probably happened it's happened somewhere i want to see a rap battle where it's you know uh you know it's it's some insanely uh gifted some rapper with insanely gifted flow against like the best indie rock lyricist whoa or uh like some kind of sweet 16 where where the yeah. The best writer. It's Kendrick Lamar and Colin Malloy Ugh. to the death. You know, I always felt like the the natural extension of my neighborhood stick fights idea. NSF. Was that, uh, that eventually it would be international, except that all of the international fighters would be fighting under, uh, under brands. So it'd be like the Adidas fighters versus like the, the, uh, the Muslim fighters versus the Shinto fighters versus Nike. Like, Wait, why are why are Muslim and Shinto corporate brands? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like religion. Wouldn't it be Mitsubishi? No, like a hundred years from now. No, maybe two hundred years from now. I think all religions and cultures will ascend to the level of brands by and uh, and ascend. 
I'm I'm li- literally saying that Mitsubishi already is probably a bigger brand than than Shintoism than a lot of uh, a lot of religions. But you know what's the what's the biggest brand? Like is the it, the Italian soccer team won't have Fila on their jerseys. They'll have like the Vatican. Yeah, right. They'll have they'll have the Pope, right? Like, is China a bigger brand or is Islam? Mm. I think is I think China's is, a bigger brand. Is there a Q rating way to measure? Right. I mean, how, what's the? I think, but but you know, leave that leave that to the futurelings. They're already living in that world. They're like, oh, it's it's a hellhole. We we miss when. We miss when uh, religion knew its place. Well, because all those religions have great branding, right? They've got like a, a single emblem that's as good as the, you know, that, I mean, which is, which is better, the, the cross or the Mercedes symbol? I mean, I think you need to put those against each other. Some of the religions, as you'll see on a coexist bumper sticker, some religions don't have great symbols. Yeah, that's but, true. But, you know, the, you got the Crescent and Star is good. The, the Star of David's good. The cross is good. What about the the little shanti? The yin yang is good. Yin yang is really good. But when you have to pick like a certain uh, like Sanskrit glyph, eh, a little hard to remember. But I mean, uh, uh, yin yang, and then you put it against that Toyota logo where it's two like two yeah. kind of ovals put together. I mean, I feel like they both. They I guess both... Hinduism's got the wheel. That's the pretty wheel. good. That's but pretty good. It, I don't know. It, it looks seems... a little industrial. It is. It is. And isn't the spinning wheel an import from colonial Britain? No, I don't think so. Spinning wheel predates. The well, I think their I think revolution. their idea of a I mean, I think the wheel was super cool when it was like this is something big turning the size of the universe. And now it just looks like a bicycle wheel or a loom. Oh, you're saying it's the industri- wheel in the sky. Industrialization ruined the wheel for Hinduism. Oh, I always thought the wheel was some Gandhi uh, thing like we're going to make our own cloth. I think it's old, but I'm not going to look it up. Okay. And maybe some, somebody will write and uh and be, tell us. Uh, yeah, please don't be mad because wrong. we're just playing around. <laughs> Um, Burns's, you know, in addition to his appeal as kind of a, you know, a, first of all, he can beat anybody. Second of all, he's got the fun farmer gimmick, but he's also a very skilled wrestler. He, uh, he's a clean living guy who doesn't drink, smoke and swear. And he kind of, you know, talks to youth groups about how this is the secret of, of, uh, health and longevity and fitness. Mm, this youth pastor thing is pretty problematic for me all of a sudden. Well, he's, he's, you know, he's a 165 pound guy who can kick your ass. So yeah, you don't have a choice. Okay. Like it's, you need to, you need to accept this new reality of the 1890s where, <laughs> where farmer burns is the peak of, of human, uh, evolution. All right. I'm there. Uh, what's keeping you from looking like this guys. And then it's a picture of a 165 pound guy with a 20 inch neck. Uh, he's also like kind of the first scientific wrestler. Like he's very, I mean, you know, drawing on these Eastern traditions to some degree, I wonder, um, he, but he's the first American to say, uh, you know, the hammerlock would be better if you could do this. You know, what if we, you know, I'm not saying he invented the full Nelson or the, you know, any of these kinds of holds, but, you know, he's giving serious thought to, you know, what's the right way to have all your, you know, what, what position should your arms be for maximum strength and resilience? And, and he's a scientific wrestler. And he is, he does absorb some of these Eastern traditions. He talks about how, you know, you should be doing deep breathing uh, you know, there are certain kinds of calisthenic and isometric exercises that are actually better for you than, you know, the weights that my opponents are, are lifting. Um, he's a really kind of forward thinking fitness guru. He's doing the great American thing, which is uh, cultural appropriation, uh, then turning into something new and bigger and turning into a mail order business, which is the, the, Hello. you know, 10 years before Charles Atlas, Ch- Charles Atlas is still getting sand kicked on him. 
and Farmer Burns is is has a successful mail order, you know, right away from my twenty page pamphlet on on how to unlock your uh, inner Farmer Burns with with breathing and calisthenics. And uh, you know, this is just part of his empire. He starts a successful wrestling gym in Rock Island, Iowa. Opens other, you know, go, opens another one in Omaha and others. He's got a stable of Farmer Burns style wrestlers all over the country. You know, he kind of creates a, a school and a, a school of thought even of, of wrestling along with all the fitness stuff and all the kids who are getting his stuff in the mail. Is this bleeding into the 20th century at this point? It is. Uh, this is starting, you know, I think the first Charles Atlas uh, stuff is maybe in the late 20s. So this is a decade or two before that. Um, and wrestling, this style of, uh, you know, catch wrestling becomes so popular that in 1904, uh, the uh, world makes the odd decision of holding an Olympic Games in the Midwest. St. Louis hosts the 1904 oh, Olympics. Right, of course. And I think it's in conjunction with the World's Fair, right? Yeah, but uh, St. Louis was a boom in town. I think it might be maybe a Louisiana Purchase 200th anniversary. I think that might, or sorry, 100th anniversary. 1904, yeah. 18, uh-huh. Does that seem right? Yeah, it does. So I think it's something like that. You know, there's some big gateway to the West thing is happening in St. Louis. And as a result, the Olympic Committee decides to hold an international athletic competition there. And uh, I think Greco-Roman wrestling has a long Olympic tradition. But because this is in the Midwest where Farmer Burns has created, to this day, Iowa has some super strong culture of amateur wrestling in schools and stuff. And it dates back to to Farmer Burns. Uh, This being in nearby Missouri, uh, the local organizers decide to put basically a variant of catch wrestling Make it a metal sport. And this is the origin of what we today call freestyle wrestling. The French word for catch as catch can was was lute libre, which, you know, then became lucha libre in Spanish and came back to us as freestyle wrestling, which was just kind of a more codified, you know, less frontier-y version of catch wrestling where it was timed. And if there wasn't, if, if there wasn't a pin at the end of the round, there would be a judge's decision Submission holes were barred. It had to be a, a you know a clean pin of the shoulder blades. Um, but this is the moment where catch wrestling splits because all of our modern freestyle wrestling that is pretty popular in amateur athletics here in the U.S. and is still an Olympic sport is this freestyle wrestling that derives from it. Whereas the other side of popular catch wrestling, these guys with their costumes and their personas and separating the rubes from as much money as you can, kind of the carny circuit variant of catch wrestling, that becomes what's called slam-bang Western-style wrestling. And all over the country, little promoters start doing their own version of... It's no longer the freestyle wrestling. that you know the, the Which went legit. The skill and science has gone legit. Now it's all about the storylines. And so the gimmicks start to get crazier... And the the angering up the crowd becomes more and more a part of it. And was it was it initially like always sort of like hey, this is something from the frontier? But you can see it in in Boston. I think it. Yeah, that's a good question. Definitely at first. I think definitely at first. You know, it's introducing cities to this kind of wild western stuff. Um, but at some point, as these local promoters start to set up shop and they build their own local heroes, like. Hey, this guy's the big Pittsburgh wrestler. Right. But, you know, in Ohio, we got this guy. Sure, it's Beans (laughs) O'Brien. Right. Like, once they start having their own local heroes and villains, then the regional aspect, or the Western aspect goes away, and it just becomes regional. You've got 
here's the Pennsylvania promoter and here's the Florida promoter and so on. And this is the beginning of 20th century pro wrestling. Then television wow. hits and suddenly the whole country can see some of these guys, your gorgeous Georges and your Haystacks Calhoun. And suddenly, um, your lobster roll Lafayette. Suddenly, yeah, your, your villains, whether it's a, an effete French guy or, you know, a cold warrior, you know, a Soviet guy in the, in the post-war era, suddenly this is mass market entertainment and, it's Farmer Burns's uh, Midwestern wrestling. I guess we're not supposed to call Iowa the Midwest. His his Prairie State wrestling. Boy, well, you know, Iowa's one of those things where it's like it's half, half of the half. state is Midwest, half of it's Prairie. We'll call it Frontier wrestling. There you go. Uh, suddenly becomes both kinds of modern wrestling that we know of today: the the Olympic kind, the Olympic freestyle kind, and the the over the top, crazy, scripted promotions. Um, Burns died in 1937 in Iowa at age 75, having kind of lived to see both branches of the sport well done. begin to flourish. Must be the oldest living uh, person who had been hanged multiple times. <laughs> and maybe, you know, given the steroids of the 80s, maybe the longest live 20th century wrestler, period. Oh, right. They are all dying um, at 66 now. If you're if lucky, that. a lot of them are just going on crazy rampages and destroying a credit union at, at 37, you know, oh, no. like it turns out you do not want to do that to your brain. Uh, in 2017, he was posthumously inducted into the WWE hall of fame as should be with, with kind of the modern wrestling promotions, recognizing the, uh, the American antecedents that, that gave us our, our modern world. I still don't think any of this solves the mystery of, of what the appeal of it is, but it does show that as far back as the 1860s, Americans wanted to watch, Guys stripped to the waist and wail on each other. I mean, I think I see the appeal, right? It's not all, it's not a hundred percent closeted homosexuality. I'll posit that. No, I mean, if you think about the way that we practice actual politics in this country now, it's, there's so much kayfabe. There are people saying things all the time they can't possibly believe, and yet they never break character. And it's always this sort of villain again. It's the, the only difference being that. Half the country thinks the villains are the heroes and and the other half feels the opposite way. But yeah, professional wrestling is, is it an analogy? Is there... It's a precursor, yeah. Uh, is there something in us that... Canary in the coal mine. Yeah, that doesn't care if it's real or not. We just want to see the the forces of good against the forces of evil. Yeah, on the biggest, on the biggest, least subtle scale possible. I guess what's missing in politics is in the... In the WWE days, or, you know, when the days when it was confined to the Silverdome, there would actually be two guys in a booth explaining to you who the good guys and bad guys were, you know? Like, they they would say, oh, I don't, he's fighting dirty again. Look, the referee's not even seeing it, you know? But that's what Fox News and CNN do now. I know, we need them to agree. We need oh. We need somebody at the presidential debate to be like, you know, to tell us, well, you know, that's can't. Mike Pence can't possibly believe that Trump basically tried to have him killed. There's no way he's actually endorsing this platform, but you know, nobody's doing it. It's funny. Cause that, you know, the whole cold war basically boils down to Ivan Drago against, uh, Rocky Balboa, but we're just now sort of able to reevaluate it and see how, how, Comic, it, it was silly. Comic tragically wrong it all was, but we can't. We're doing it. We again. can't apply it to ourselves now. Maybe, well, maybe. Uh, 
I don't know. As wrestling goes, so goes the country. Maybe you need a strong wrestling circuit to uh, so that everybody can get these urges out and not need to see them in their internet interactions and in their politics and in their advertising and in their uh, CEOs. I mean, Elon Musk is a kayfabe CEO, you know? What's funny is that the, the, the big heroes of professional politics wrestling now are these totally old, like <laughs> creaky <laughs> veterans that, that have to get propped up and they can bear, you know, they're just like, but you can see the B card, the undercard as all these maniacs, these like, these uh, these new young the young version makes it. But even the young ones all look, they all look fifteen years older than they are. You know, Alex Jones and Charlie Kerr, all these guys. Yeah, you know, they're in their late twenties and they look like they're fifty one. Don't know what that means. Don't smoke. I want to. I want to see the squad against uh, against those crazy Republican Congresswomen from Colorado and and uh, and Georgia. But just to be clear, not in an objectifying way. No, no, but like literally in a like all holds barred uh, Western style, like fight. Well, maybe maybe neighborhood stick fight, maybe fight to the death. You can bring your own chicken. And that concludes Farmer Burns, entry one six six dot gn three two two four, certificate number two nine seven six six, in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, almost certainly it will be 100% pro-wrestling between politicians who are representing either corporate brands or religions and cultures. I mean, the funny thing is that's the idiocracy premise, right? Yeah. That, that some over-the-top Randy Savage type would be president. Well, not only that, but there ha- would be no distinction between like corporate brands and science. Yeah. Yeah. And when Idiocracy came out, I was like, oh, come on. I've been, uh, I've been writing this script for 15 years. But then I think a lot of us felt that way. It did happen sooner than we thought, I guess. We all knew it was accurate. We just didn't know how imminent it was. Uh, anyway, you can find uh, the archive of Ken's Deep Thoughts and mine at Omnibus Project on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, he's at Ken Jennings. I'm at John Roderick. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Um, you can hang out with other futurelings on Facebook and uh, sorted social media platforms. You can send us actual mail at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Can I hear you over there opening some packages? We've got a little bit of a backlog. We do. Um this is a book I think that has not come out yet. I hope I don't say the author's name wrong. Alec Navala Lee? I'm probably saying that. Navala Lee? I'm sorry, Alec. He uh, hold it up. Let me take a. We did a show. We did it. a show about Buckminster Fuller's self chronologizing of his own life. And here is a book. And uh, yeah, the author uh, or the author somehow got wind of the entry and asked us if we would like his new. I mean, this could be a, like a definitive biography. It's of a Buck massive Fuller. book. It is. And a beautiful one. And we have an early copy. I'm very excited to uh, to check out Inventor of the Future, The Visionary Life of Buckminster Fuller. Was it endorsed to us on the title page? It is not. This was sent by the publisher. Oh, that's, see, that's what happens. Like yeah. you, The author never had his hands on this, unfortunately. Yeah, you send me books through your publisher, and I'm like, yeah, thanks. Give me the, give me the one that says, hey, Would John, you thank it? you for everything. And then this looks very exciting. This is like, like a hand 
telegraphed envelope that says John and Ken. That you that you just shredded opening. Do you need a letter opener? I don't have a letter opener over here. It's true. I mean, I have like a collection of them. <laughs> but like at this table? Oh, where? I bet I do. Well, there's just the... Just the Confederate sword. Caitlin says, please enjoy these thoughtful presents. Are you allowed to call your own presents thoughtful? Isn't that more for me to decide, Caitlin? Well, is Caitlin, like, just acting as an emissary? Other people have put these presents together? Uh, no, I think... Um, but she's not wrong. They are very thoughtful. Like, there's 3D glasses so that we can enjoy the 3D card huh. that she sent. Um, oh, these are yours now because they didn't make the cut to join us to Germany. Caitlin's moving to Germany. Um, you get more treasures than me because Caitlin's husband does not wear a medium. So what is that looks like this a is satin a jacket. What's on the back? That's the, that's the determinant. Point special premium beer. Oh, that's some classic Midwestern beer swag. Are you allowed to rep? Uh, or do you, are you going to have to pick a religion on your members only jacket? No, you know, I'm a I'm equal opportunity. Look at this. This is a big coat. Nice. And it smells... Oh, Ken, you didn't smell it. Oh, what did it smell like? Does it smell like Point Special? It smells kind of kind of like floral and nice. Ooh. I wonder if that's from this... Uh, it might be mm, that her husband is just a this. nice smelling... He smells like sandalwood. Uh, He's a catch, Caitlin. Look at that. And then mili- military uniforms. This is more desert-friendly camouflage. Yeah, I, I would, mean, even if I, that was a medium, I would still take I would, it. I would be swimming around in that. You're not going to want to wear well, it. I would be well camouflaged because I could fit my whole body in it. Oh, now this is like chemical weapons proof or something. This has got, it says, yeah, it's, a, it's an environmental barrier against gross chemicals, I think. Oh, that's cool. Where Do you often get gross chemicals thrown at you? Or are you going to wear it somewhere? Well, Ken, depending on how the apocalypse uh, shakes down, we may all we may all be wandering around going, God, I wish I had something that had, that had plastic tape on the seams. And I'm going to keep this cool book that Caitlin sent us, The Lego Architect. Oh, that's right up your alley. This is great. This has all kinds of, you know, every school of architecture in miniaturized Lego form. This is beautiful. That's pretty smart. Thank you so much, Caitlin. I also want to run through all these postcards because I'm not sure if we've ever done any of them on the show, even though we've had them for a while. This is from Don, uh, absolutely gonzo, um, John Brown mural from Topeka, Kansas. Don, D-O-N or D-A-W-N? D-A-W-N. Thank you, Don. That is a bonkers frontier postcard. He is just going wild. He's wilding out in this. It looks like the cover of a... Pogues album or something. Um, like my new favorite Instagram feed, cats going ogre style. I don't even know what ogre style would be. Well, just they the talk like Shrek. Super being weird. This is a uh, Guinness postcard from two listeners in Ohio, but for some reason sent us a Dublin postcard. Okay. Uh, this is, oh, sorry, Matt and Larissa. This is from Thanks, Matt and Larissa. Tom sending us a postcard of the Penguin Science Fiction omnibus i guess because we did the penguin classics uh, is it tom with an h it is not why would it be tom with an h never know one in one thousand toms (laughs) never know is a tom with an h apparently tom and his family call me mr j the j would be for jeopardy but they say Mm. it like harley quinn mr j 
Mr. J. So they talk about you enough to have a nickname for you. Yes. What do you think they talk about when they talk about you? I, well, I ex- now I don't know. Like the, I thought the J would be for Jeopardy, but maybe it's Jennings. That actually... Mr. J. That would be Occam's Razor. I was listening to Mr. J the other day. Oh, I love him on that program. This is from... Oh, this is unsigned, but someone from Tacoma sent us a cool Salish art postcard. A modernized Salish art and it just says to, uh, they're doing it to support the post office. I guess they're just sending out a bunch of postcards. Well, that's kind of a good idea. This is a confusing one from Greg. It's actually the kind of postcard you would use to send somebody a move in a chess by mail game. But he has done no opening move. Well, he's, it's not. He's just reusing it as a postcard. On the back is oh. where you would, it has the little the little chart where you would oh. no, notate your move. It doesn't seem like there are enough boxes to notate all the moves of a chess match. Well, I don't know how it would work. There's, t- you can have two games going on at once. It looks like a library then, card. Oh, I think you, I think it does. I think it goes back and forth like a library card. Yeah. Like so, you would, but you'd very quickly run out of room and have to switch to a new card. Remember? Does anybody remember laughter? But also, does anybody remember when you could play chess through the mail? Like what a what a wonderful Cold War. You know, you picture a guy in a uh, in a, like a quilted robe who's opening the mail with a letter opener that he got in his colonial years. And it's, and, he, and it's from a correspondent in Yugoslavia or Italy. And he goes, aha, mm, and he, he walks over. He's and, got a board in the corner, yeah, and he moves, moves the, the rook, and then he just stares at it for uh, days. Super evil villain vibes. Well, you're the evil villain, but you also have another evil villain. It's yes. perfect. Uh, he, for some reason, Greg is using this chess card to ask if you can buy Seattle Pilots merch at Miller Park in Milwaukee, because the Seattle Pilots, of course, are now the Brewers. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't either. I would suspect no, because I think you can buy Pilots merch here. You can, and I think you can buy it on the internet. <laughs> well, I, I would agree <laughs> with that. Uh, Miguel from Canada sent us this postcard from Portugal, confusingly. Yes. Oh, no, but Miguel is Portuguese. Oh, uh, okay. So uh, so he lives in, in uh, eastern Canada, but he... He self-identifies as Portuguese and speaks Portuguese and goes to Portuguese. He's not just self-identifying as Portuguese. He's literally you, Portuguese. You can't just choose to be to use Portuguese <laughs> pronouns. Can you not, though? Pesca Tradicional. He wants us to know they still do traditional fishing in Portugal. It's not clear from the picture how that works, but it's a big, weird kind of dragon boat looking boat. Yeah, they're fighting all the people that now want to use Portugal as an extreme surfing location. They're, they're just fighting all the Americans that want to move there for low taxes, I think. And this is our friend uh, Ramon from Chile. I think this might have been sent. Oh, no, this one's pretty recent. Hello, Ramon. Ramon was the one who... Uh, is he going to talk to us about street dogs? He was against the street dogs. Yeah. yeah. But, but he is for uh, Chilean control of Antarctica. He sent us this postcard that we, he got stamped somehow from Chile and Antarctica. Wait, he's in favor of Chilean uh, hegemony over all of Antarctica? Over this particular wedge, including oh. the Antarctic Peninsula down all the way to the pole. It's a it's a um it's a twenty seven degree pie slice that Chile thinks it has come into it. Right. Uh and I, I kinda wonder I wish Miguel I hope he can tell us what the mechanism was. Like did he have to go Wait, that's Ramon, not, not sorry, Miguel. Sorry Miguel. Sorry Ramon. Uh Miguel's Canadian Portuguese, right? Not Chilean and, Antarctic. And as far as I know, Canadian Portuguese have zero portion of Antarctica. That is correct. Uh, not because they don't want it, but just because they were fought back. Everybody wants it. They were beaten back. Uh, the I wonder how you get this stamped and canceled in Antarctica. Like, do you think he had to go to some Tierra del Fuego? 
post office, or do you can you send a postcard to Antarctica and have them That's stamp it. it there and send it back, or do you have to? Is there some place in Santiago where you can it's get, be, get the Antarctic stamp for tourists? It can either be that, or I bet you they I bet you, you send a bunch of mail to Antarctica and there's somebody sitting there waiting for the thing to come uh, colonize their brain. <laughs> who's, who's stamping postcards? I stopped at a couple research stations when I was visiting Antarctica, and they are all about the gift shop. Uh, selling the thing merch? No, not oh. the thing merch, oh. but Antarctica merchandise. Here, right. have a stuffed orca, have a stuffed humpback, have a stuffed penguin. Wait, orca? Are there orca in Antarctica? I don't know, maybe not. I don't think so, but maybe. Would they be maybe. Antarctica? Ugh. That's why you don't belong on television. But they will stamp all your stuff. They'll be like, oh, I know you're going to want an Antarctica stamp in your passport. And I'm yeah, like, but are then you, you? They can't get into Palestine. You're just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Palestine <laughs> hates it when you go to Antarctica. You got to go do it in the right order. You got to yeah. go to Palestine first, then right. catch that flight to the Antarctic. Exactly. Uh, and I'm sure, like, I don't think it's legally binding anything they're doing. Like, it's just some, you know, climate researcher with a stamp, a bored climate researcher with a stamp. Right. Hell, I know a dozen of those. But he's got the power to say, that's right. Look, you've been to Antarctica now. So who am I to question that? Indeed. Uh, Finally, let me encourage everyone listening to support our show at patreon.com slash omnibus project. Do. If you are a enthusiastic listener who has never uh, pledged even a, the smallest amount of $5 per month. Or even a mildly interested but wealthy listener. Right, who could give us $100 a month and not even notice. If you have 50 uh, podcasts you kind of like, yeah. but you've got a lot of scratch, why not uh, Why not support them disproportionately? <laughs> That's right, and give all of the money to us. Uh, and if you are at the $5 level and are like, you know what? I love this show. I love Mr. J and his Mr. other friend, J. Mr. J. Uh, you know, why not bump from 5 to 10 or from 10 to 20? Uh, because there are lots of perks waiting for you on the other side. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long this civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus 